Well, hey, listen, I'm excited to jump into the Word. Uh, we're actually kicking off a new collection here at the Becoming Church. We speak in what we call collection, so we'll take a thought or a theme and, and kind of just have a conversation around it for several weeks. And uh, actually, over the entire summer, we're going to be in this collection called uh, Summer Playlist. More on that in just a moment. Uh, but what has kind of has uh, kind of become, there it is, custom here at the Becoming Church is we stand for the reading of God's Word. So if you would uh, stand with me as we read, we're going to be coming from John uh, chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 1, then I'm going to drop down uh, to verse 10 through 14. And so if you don't have a copy of God's Word, it's available here uh, on the screen uh, right behind me, but it's John 1 verse 1, and then we'll hit verse 10. It says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 10, it says, He was in the world, talking about Jesus. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And now the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful and we're thankful. Thank you for this time and space that we get to share together. Lord, we pray over these next few moments, God, that you open up our eyes and allow us to see what it is that you're showing us, God. Open up our ears and allow us to hear what it is that you're speaking to us. God, we, we need you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence that's here. And God, as your servants, we say this, Lord, speak, Lord, because we're listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You got some hands. Or I guess you got an arm and I, I got hands. Family, it's summertime, which means travel time. Let me just stop. <laughs> I think this is funny. I just said it's summertime, and no one got excited. But I know why. I know why. I know why. If Becoming Kids were in here, and I said it's summertime, they would have been turning up. But because the parents are in here, <laughs> and then if you don't have kids, you're like, it doesn't matter to me. But the parents in here, I said summertime, oh, God. Help me. I saw this video. I saw this video the other day. This guy, somebody sent it to me. And it's like, this guy was like, you know, we really got to just thank God for our teachers. Our teachers are, which, which, can we give it up for all of our teachers as I say that? Administrators, those who work with students, thank you so much. But he's like, we really got to give it up for them. Because of teachers, he's like, I'm able to be a part-time parent. That, you know, I just get them four or five hours in the evening, feed them, play with them, and put them to bed. Now, summertime here, I got to be a full-time parent. I got to figure out what to do with them all day. I don't know. It's funny to me. It wasn't to you. But it's summertime. I love my kids, I promise. But with summertime comes road trips, right? You hit the road, or maybe you take to uh, the friendly skies. And there's just a few things to consider when you're on a road trip, when you're traveling. One of the things that you need to consider, uh, you need to consider snacks. Will anybody agree with me on that? Like, snacks are important. You're going to have the right snacks, right? You, you don't want, because you're going to get in that moment where it's the snacks that's just going to help you stay alive, right? 
It's, it's the snacks that's going to help you not to, you know, slap somebody that's sitting next to you or reach in the back, right? Uh, can I keep it real? I'll, I'll keep it real. Okay, you don't have to. I'll do that this morning, right? Snacks are uh, important. And there's another thing that's important. Uh, what you wear, the fit. The fit check has to pass the test, right? Because, and, and there's really this tension with what you wear uh, because you want to be comfortable, but at the same time, you know, you kind of want to look good a little bit. Because, you know, you're going to stop at the gas station and, and fill up on snacks and all that. Stop at Bucky's, I don't know. Or, or, or maybe if you're traveling, uh, you're going through the airport lines, and, and even though you know, TSA is going to yell at you and be mean to you, you, you still want to look good, want to be fresh for where, where you're headed. So, you know, that's important as well. So we talked about the snacks. We talked about what you wear when you're traveling. But there's one thing that we haven't discussed just yet. It's the playlist. Come on. The playlist is important. And if you're traveling, if it's a road trip, whoever is controlling the playlist has a very important job. Because you got to be able to flow with the dynamics of the trip. You know, at the beginning of the trip, right, there's a lot of energy. Like, Miles, you know, I know you hit the road, right? There's at the beginning, there's a lot of excitement. There's a journey. We know where we're headed. Like, there's a lot of excitement. So you need the hype music. You need that going. But then there's that trip where you get frustrated. Like, Lord, I can't believe we're not there yet. Right? So you got to know the right kind of music to play at that point. And then if you're traveling with small kids, it's like it's normally nap time. Put on that lullaby. Put on whatever it is that's going to make them go to sleep. Put that song on. Right? And you got to be able to know and understand the dynamics of the trip. It's important, too, if you're flying. Have you ever flown and forgotten your headphones? Like, that is terrible. That, that is the worst. You got to hear the plane noise. Can I let you all on the secret, too? This is bad. This is bad. Like, I'll, I'll be traveling, and I'll just throw my headphones in right away. I was like, don't talk to me. Don't say nothing to me. I don't even want to have a discussion. And you're like, aren't you a pastor? I was like, yes, but just let me throw my headphones in in a moment. I don't feel like getting to it. This last time I was traveling, this lady, she was wanting to have a whole discussion. I can tell by the tone of her voice, it was not going to be a good discussion. She just wanted to sit here and let me know all her political views. I'm like, I ain't with it. I'm throwing these headphones. You know, you try to be like, uh, you know, try to make it like a big deal. A little insight into me. But the playlist is important. The other day, or just yesterday, I was playing uh, Swag Surfing. I, that couldn't make the list. That's a little too ratchet. It's a little too ratchet. I was, I, was, I was playing swag surfing. I was in the office, and I went back to whatever year that was. I don't know, 05, 06, I don't know. 07. 07, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like, that was my year was 07. And uh, I went back, and I ain't going to tell you what I was doing, but then my elbow popped. So I came in the kitchen. I was like, Katie, this is crazy. I played this song. It took me back to how I felt in the moment when this song was playing. I can remember a day particularly. I was playing this in my car. had the windows down. had the 212s in the back with the 1200-watt amp bumping this song. <laughs> they were audio bonds, too. And um, now here I am. I don't know, uh, you know the age I was then, the age I am now. And all I did was one little move, and my elbow popped. The Lord was like, it's gone. Move on. You can't do that no more. I'm probably going to wake up. It's going to be sore in the morning and like grab the icy hot. But anyway, songs, they take you back. And in some ways, right, they, they kind of help shape your experience, shape the moment of life. Like I told my mom I was going to be playing before I let go. And I think she was having a party um, on the other end of the phone. But they shape 
your life in some ways. In the same way that playlists or these hits can kind of shape the experiences or remind us of experiences, it's the same way that I believe that values that we can live by actually can shape our lives. And here's, here's, here's why. You say, well, what are values? Values are principles that you value that when you find yourself at a decision moment, at a point that you've got to make a decision, you can use these principles to say, okay, what do I value and how by what I value can help me make this decision? Are you tracking with me? So if that's a career change, if that's starting this business, if that's moving to a different city, okay, let me look at what are principles that I value and are those principles, are those values found within this decision? And if they are, then okay, then perhaps that's a decision I can make. If not, then maybe not. So values are principles that we go back to, are principles that help shape our lives. And as a church community, we have values. There are things that we value. There are principles that we uphold. There are principles that we want to, to model out. In fact, they're, they're, to my right, they're over here. You see them uh, on signage. But uh, to make it easier for you to view, here are some of the principles that we want to model out as a church community. But not just as a church community, but it's my prayer that as followers of the way of Jesus, that we will model these principles out, these values out within our lives. And so when you find yourself at a decision or when you find yourself at some juncture, you can remind yourself that people are our heart. That when Jesus We'll look over, he was moved with compassion because he saw people that were lost, that were sheep without a shepherd. It's because people mattered to him. People were and are his heart, and that's the same value and principle of ours. That unity is our pursuit. That where, there's, where there is unity, God commands a blessing. We want to be people who are unified. It doesn't mean that we're all the same because Unity doesn't equal sameness, but unity says with all of our differences, we can gather around this common idea is that we are lifting up the name of Jesus and we're upholding what Jesus says is the greatest to loving God and loving people. And we do that within our differences, right? So these are principles that we value. And so for the next number of weeks, the rest of summer, uh, we're going to be taking uh, some of these values, some of them we're going to uh, join together, uh, some of them will, will stand alone, and we're going to discuss them and see how can we model them out in our lives and how uh, do they apply to not just us as a church community, but as individual followers of the way of Jesus. And the first value we're going to look at today is Jesus is our message. You know, oftentimes as we begin a sermon or a message up here, you know, we always talk about how, hey, all this is for Jesus. All, all this is about him. Our goal each week is to make a big deal out of Jesus. We're not saying that to just rehearse those words. We're saying that so that we all have the understanding that anyone who stands here on this platform and really in, in every seat and, and beyond this space, that that should be our message is Jesus. So we're not up here to communicate an opinion uh, we're not up here to talk about some concept. Uh, we're not having this moment as a moment where we can go on a rant and just kind of share what we want to share, but it's to communicate the full counsel of the Word of God and to communicate that Jesus is our message. And as I've said a few times already, that this should really be a value that's just not something valued by 
the church, but valued by every one of us. Because here's the truth. Everyone has something to say. <laughs> you can go on social media. You can go turn on the television or whatever, Twitter, and everyone has something to say. Most of it is probably gibberish for sure. But for us, if we're going to be talking, if we're going to say anything, why not say what Jesus said? If we're going to be about anything, why not be about what Jesus was about? So here's what we want to do. We want to look at, well, what was the message of Jesus? What is the message of Jesus? And how can we apply that to our lives today and live that out today? And I'm going to give this, I guess I call it some truths. And by the way, you can follow along uh, with today's message uh, by downloading the Becoming Church app. It's available in whichever app store or the app store or Google Play. And once you download it, click at the bottom where it says connect. And at the top, oh, you'll see today's notes. But here's the first truth is this. Jesus is grace. Now, these things that we're going to talk about today, they're not all um, encompassing of the message of Jesus. But for the sake of time, we're going to hit three this morning. And the first we're going to talk about is Jesus is grace. Look at John 1, verse 14. It says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. You know, grace for the believer is so important. Having the right understanding, the right theology around grace for the believer is vital, is, is important. Look at what Paul says in his letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 2, 8. He says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So as that stays up there for a moment, look at what it says. For it is by grace you have been saved. So it doesn't say it is by your work that you've been saved. It doesn't say it's by your effort that you've been saved. It doesn't say that it's by your status or that you've been saved. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Through what? Through faith. Through faith in Jesus. But grace is the, 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 the mechanism that leads to salvation. And it's important for the believer to understand this because it reminds us that it's not in our effort that brings salvation. That it's not in our work that brings salvation. We have to lose this idea of works-based salvation. Because salvation does not become a reality to us because of what we have done. Salvation is a reality and is available because of what Jesus has done. It says, uh, the one who, Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So in other words, he became so that you and I could become. So Jesus said, it is finished. So he said, Michael, I don't need you to add anything else to it. Katie, I don't need you to add anything else to it. Ma'am, I don't need you to add anything else to it. Sir, I don't need you to add anything else to it. It was finished. It is finished means it is finished for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not our works. It's not our effort. But it is Grace. And here's the definition of grace. It says this, a definition of grace is this. 
Grace is God's unmerited favor experienced by him giving us what we do not deserve. So in other words, grace is unearned and it's undeserved, right? So some of us, we take this perspective. Here it is. So our kids, they'll clean up their room, which I remind them it's not your room, it's actually my room. My parents gave me that revelation. I'm giving that revelation to my kids. It's not your room. It's my room. I'll let you use it. It's not your toys. It's my toys. I don't want to play with them, so I'll let you play with them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we, we allow them to use, you know, they have their room. We say, hey, clean up your room. And, and sometimes we don't tell them, they think, you know, we're just going to clean the room up because we'll be impressed. And I'll, and I'll say, hey, that's awesome. I'm glad you did that. But then it always comes with like, hey, well, I clean my room, so don't I? It's like, what? You know? They, because they did something, they're expecting something. And some of us as Christians, we take the same approach with God. Hey, God, look at me. I prayed for an hour. Hey, I had, I had devotion time this morning before I jumped on Instagram. Right, right, look, I, I fasted one day this week. I did not cuss out my coworker today. So because I didn't do that, here's what you need to do for me. Or, or here's what you should do for me. So we think we've earned the grace now because of our actions. But when you go back to the definition of grace, grace is God's unmerited favor experienced by him, giving us what we do not deserve. Grace is unearned and it's undeserved, meaning there are, there, there's no amount of actions that we can take to obtain God's grace. It's what he freely dispenses. And that's so important for us to understand because if not, we will follow Jesus thinking that it's about our effort. In fact, there's a, a way of thinking, there's a theology that teaches that. There's a theology that will say, well, until you have been water baptized, then you're not saved, that you haven't received salvation. But that idea contradicts Ephesians 2.8. Because Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace, not the fact that you've been water baptized, but it is by grace. Now, let me say that. Water baptism is important, and it's something that we highly encourage here at the Becoming Church. We say, listen, the best decision you can make is to give your life to Jesus, surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, putting your faith in him and believing that he raised, that he died and raised uh, from the dead. But then your next best decision is to be water baptized, because here's what it does. It signifies who you used to be dying and now that you, so when you go in that water, you die a death of who you used to be. And then you come out of that water, raised to new life in Christ. And it's a beautiful picture. And it's a perfect picture of what new life in Christ looks like. And we highly encourage that. But the moment we think that that represents or begins our salvation is the moment that we've said, okay, Jesus, what you did on the cross was actually not enough. And indeed, it was not finished. You should have said it's almost finished until I be water baptized. 
And that is not how it works. And so there are many trains of thoughts and many ways of thinking, whether it's, whether it's water baptism or something else, that people will, will present to others and say, well, until you do that, you're not saved. And there's many things. And then what happens that, that the goalposts continue to move. And so then we think, well, there's no way I can ever live in the grace of God. There's no way that I can ever live in the love or receive the love of God because that goalpost keeps moving, 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 because it seems that it's based off what I do. And if you are anything like me, you realize like, man, we're, that, that I'm a mess. We're a mess and we're messed up. So then how can I ever obtain that? And so then we have the wrong picture that this thing is, is available because of God's grace. It's not our works. It's not our action. And now while I'm hanging on this idea of grace, I do want to make sure I say this. Grace isn't a license to keep on living in sin just because we have grace. You know, sometimes people will say, hey, you know, uh, apologize later. You, you know, forget about permission. Just apologize later. And we'll take that same approach with life. Well, there's grace that's available. I know I got grace. Grace is there. Grace is available. It doesn't matter because of grace. But look at what Paul says in Romans 6, verses 2 and 3. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, whether sin, then grace, whether sin, then there's grace. No. He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In other words, Paul is saying, look, when you follow the way of Jesus, repentance has to take place, right? There's this, this, this realization uh, that we're sinners and we need to repent. In fact, that's, that's how Jesus came on the scene, like, yo, you need to repent. And so we, we need to repent, which basically repent is this word that means, okay, so I, I was living this way, doing my own thing, but I'm repenting, and I'm turning around. I have a changed mind, a changed direction, and now I'm living in this way. So Paul is saying, if you're living a life of repentance, why would the idea be to continue to sin? Yes, thank God for his grace, but his grace is not there for us to continue to sin just so that grace may increase. No, because we're living a life of repentance anyway, so we're not striving to try to continue to be the same person that we were, but we're, we're walking in grace that allows us to become the person that God has called us to become. So grace isn't a license to continue to sin just because it exists. But here's what grace is. Grace is not the opportunity to live according to our plan. Grace is the empowerment to live according to God's plan. Because many of us, we see the plan of God at, at, uh, for our lives, or we just see uh, what Scripture teaches and leads us to. And we say, how can we ever live according to that standard? And can I tell you, I'll raise my hand with you. But here's what we are discounting. We're discounting the power of grace. So grace is God's unmerited favor, but grace is also the empowerment that God bestows upon us by way of his Holy Spirit that enables us to live the life that we've been called to live. That's why when you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. Oftentimes people say, well, accept Jesus into our heart. That sounds great, but he's not. Like he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's not off the throne. It's the Holy Spirit that then lives inside of us, helping us 
to live the life that we've been called to live. And then the fruit of the Spirit becomes active in our lives. And those those things that we have to apply, uh, patience and peace and kind of justice, faithfulness, self-control, all of those things. If you are here last week uh, that Charlie talked about. So it's the empowerment that God's grace brings to allow us to live according to his plan and not just the op- grace is not the opportunity to live according to ours. Look what Charles Spurgeon says in regards to grace. He says grace is the first and last moving cause of salvation. And faith, essential as it is, is only an important part of the machinery which grace employs. We are saved through faith, but salvation is by grace. So it's important to have the right theology and right understanding around grace of what grace is, but also knowing what grace is not intended to be. Here's another truth I want to discuss as we, as we kind of dissect the, the message of Jesus. Is this, Jesus is truth. Uh, look at John 1, 14 again. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Sometimes I think some of us, we will read that that says full of grace or truth, or mostly grace and just a little bit of truth, or, or, you know, full of truth, or just full of grace. But it says full of grace and truth, meaning we can't separate grace and truth. And here's what you have uh, in, in happening in church, in the modern church, perhaps, I don't know, maybe the last 15, 20 years. You have uh, these, these huge pendulum swings, these moments where there are these huge overcorrections. And so overcorrections from bad theology or bad teaching. So like, for instance, the, the prosperity gospel message, of, of name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. If you believe it, you can see it kind of thing. And, and while obviously there's plenty of issues with prosperity gospel and some of the basis of its teaching, the huge overcorrection led us to poverty gospel. Where, well, well Jesus doesn't want you to like have anything. You, you don't. You need to wonder where the next meal is coming from if you really trust God. If you really have faith, like, you sell it, sell it all. Obviously, there's, there's, issues. there's issues with both ways of thinking, the, the, the prosperity gospel in the way it's presented and the poverty gospel in the way that it's presented. And we don't have time to do that this morning, to deep dive and see that there's truths in those teachings, but oftentimes exploited for some type of personal gain in both ways. But here, here's the thing, in terms of like, we talk about the issues with the prosperity gospel and how uh, jacked up that is, like, Jesus doesn't care if you drive a, a, a BMW, like, it just doesn't matter. So he's like, God wants you to have a BMW. Not really. I mean, No. <laughs> Or the poverty gospel is like, well, you shouldn't, you know, that house is just too big. Who defines that? I don't, I don't understand. Because if you go to a Christian brother or sister in some third, third world nation, um, you know, 500 square feet actually may be too much to live in. 
but we wouldn't define that as too much to live in, right? So you get into these nuances where there's so many issues with both, but the point I'm making here is a huge overcorrection. So we go from here all the way over here instead of understanding the balance right here in the middle. Then there was this thing of legalism um, where it was all about, well, you can't, mm -mm, you got tattoos? Oh, man, you missed it. You can never be saved now. Gosh, you did what? Ooh, I wish you, ah, it's too late for you. Ah, you just, you never, you never can now. It's too late. Ah, no. So the overcorrection was now we're dismissive of the essentials of the faith, right? Well, I mean, that's, that's what it says. That's what the word says. But that was really, you know, for those people in that time, in that context, it really doesn't apply today, which is obviously uh, incorrect. And, and, and so the, the Bible uh, wasn't written to us, but it was written for us, right? Uh, and, and everything that it says is, is for today. But unfortunately, in this huge overcorrection from a legalistic approach, we've gotten dismissive of the essentials. And so now it's no longer about this being the truth, but it's about it being whatever the truth we want to make it to, a, uh, to fit how we want to live. Then there was this thing of just all truth, like, you know, fire and brimstone. That's what we preach and that's what we live in. That's the message that we're rocking with. And if you don't like it, then that's your problem. So then the overcorrection was we need to get rid of the truth and only rock with grace. So everything is about grace, 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 grace. And there's never a call to truth. So basically, in attempts to overcorrect the missteps of previous generations or the missteps of previous ways of thinking, we have dumbed down the truth and we've placed grace into hyper mode. And as a result, we now have churches that will hide the truth but only champion grace. But it says Jesus was what? Full of grace and truth. So we know we can't separate those two. We know we can't dilute either one of them. We have churches that will tell us that Jesus loves us, but neglect the fact that Jesus calls us to die daily, that he calls us to count the cost of following him. It's grace and truth. Here's, what I, here's summed up what I'm saying. Truth without grace is mean. And grace without truth is meaningless. So what is truth if it's not paired with grace? And what is grace if it's not paired with truth? And one of the best illustrations we have of, of that, there's many, one of the best illustrations we have of that in Scripture, I believe it's John chapter 8, where there's the woman caught in the act of adultery. And they, these religious folks, they tried to call Jesus out. It's like, yo, you know what the law says. And this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. What are you going to do about it? And Jesus, he stoops down and he just begins to write. And many believe that what Jesus was doing in that moment was he was writing the names of the men that were accusing her, pointing out her act of adultery. So then he turns to them, and I, this is how I picture they see like, ooh, Jim, Peter, 
Well, no, I don't use Peter. Uh, Jim? Zach? Ooh, well, that's my name. Um, uh, Jesus says, you without sin cast first. You know what? She didn't, she didn't, nope, she didn't do it. Because they didn't want them problems at home. And here's what Jesus, here's what Jesus does. He tells her, he says, go and sin no more. So what happened in that moment? Those guys were, were, there was this whole thing about truth, but it says she was caught in the act of adultery. In the act. It wasn't a story. It wasn't that you hear what happened. It wasn't that we saw, you know, so-and-so at so-and-so house. It was caught in the act. That's what it says. Caught in the act. You get what I'm saying. Why we don't hear about the other? We only heard about her experience. It was just this truth, truth, truth thing. And yes, there's truth, but you also were involved in that. We didn't hear you. So Jesus tells her, and he displays grace and truth, go and sin no more. So right there, we see her encounter grace, but also encounter truth. Grace and truth, we can't separate the, the two of them. I've also, I've learned this, that there's the Jesus that we have in our mind, and there's the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that we have in our mind is not like the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus in our mind is essentially the Jesus that allows us to live the way that we want to live and tells the story that we want to be told. That's not the that's not the reflection of the Jesus of the Bible. So the Jesus that we have in our mind, the Jesus that culture has, is a Jesus that didn't say hard things. Is a Jesus that didn't have hard or difficult teachings. But the reality is the Jesus of the Bible said some hard things. John chapter 6, verse 53 through 61, I'm going to show you real quick. Jesus says to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Already you're like, what are we talking about? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them, just as the living Father sent me and live and, and, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? So just coming off the heels of that, that means the message of Jesus can be offensive. It's okay if somebody hears the truth of Jesus and feel offended. It should, because there's this, this, this collision of the truth of Jesus and us living how we want to live. And of course, what's that going to do? That's going to offend us. And so that's okay, having an understanding of that. But, but here's, Jesus is not into cannibalism. Like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. What is going on here? But what Jesus is saying is that if you're going to follow me and live for me, you have to be all in with me. 
that manna or whatever source of life you think it, it that brings life, it's not. I am the bread of life, and you have to completely consume me and be all in with who I am. But it's interesting how he didn't bring correction to their thoughts of thinking that he was in the cannibalism. It's a hard teaching. Jesus said hard things, and you know what happened? Some of those disciples, they left. And Jesus turned to the others and said, are you going to leave as well? And that is happening today, that there were people, you know, a friend's family that were once following. But then there was this collision of the life that they wanted to live and the life that God was calling them to live. And so they have stepped off and left the faith. But we can't be afraid of the truth because look at this. Embracing the truth does not dismiss the grace of Jesus, but it amplifies it. So embrace the truth of Jesus does not mean you dismiss his grace. It amplifies his grace because it's only his grace. Remember, that's empowerment that's going to allow you to live the truth that he calls us to. And if you see this and you say, this is too much, this is a hard teaching, this is difficult to live out, look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So there his grace is again that allows us to live out his truth. So we don't have to dismiss the grace of Jesus in order to embrace this truth. We need to embrace the, the, the truth of Jesus, and it doesn't mean we have to dismiss his grace. Micah, if you come help me land this flame, I got to get out of here. I believe this, church. The enemy of our soul desires to kill us, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, but he desires to uh, kill us physically. I do. But I believe there's a, a, part of, a, a part of him or satisfaction in him that will say, well, what if you weren't physically dead, but you were dead spiritually? What if you were physically alive, but everything spiritually of you were, were dead? Every dream was dead. Every promise was dead. Every hope was dead. Every expectation was dead. And I feel like there are many of us that live like that today, that we are physically alive, but spiritually we, we're dead. And because of that, we don't dream again, that we no longer live with expectation. We no longer live with excitement, but we're only living in the memory of what was. And we're not able to live in the but what could be. But here's what Jesus, here's, here's what Jesus said. He says, look, in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy but I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, which leads us to our final truth this morning, is that Jesus is life. Hear me this morning. Jesus is life. These last number of years have been difficult, and maybe they've been difficult for us for different reasons, but they've been some difficult years, and because of that, there are many of us in this room we no longer dream anymore that we no longer pray the prayers that scare us. We no longer pray the prayers that will raise our level of faith and what we're believing God for. And God is reminding us that Jesus is life. 
And you don't have to allow the enemy to steal that from you because Jesus says, I came so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The Christian life and the fullness of that statement doesn't just happen in the there, meaning heaven, but it's for the the here and there, that you can live a full, vibrant, exciting, and meaningful life right here today from the moment you put your faith in Jesus. So don't let the enemy steal your joy. Don't allow him to steal your your excitement and living with expectation. Why? Ephesians 3.20, it says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that works within us. So meaning, if you can imagine it, God can exceed it. If you can expect it, He can exceed it. So don't dumb down at your expectation because of what life has presented these over these last number of years. You you dream again. We we, we are not hopeless people. We are hope-filled people. We're not joyless people. We are joy-filled people. We are not spirit-less people. We are spirit-filled people. So live with expectation again and know that Jesus is life. And Here's the final thing I want to say to you this morning. When we encounter the message of Jesus, you realize that any and everybody is a candidate to be used by God. Why? Because we get to encounter his grace. We get to encounter his truth. And we get to be reminded that Jesus is life. And when those things are mixed together, we can realize like, yo, if he used me, I'll say this from my perspective. If he he can use me, he can use you for sure. We're all a candidate to be used by God. Would you pray with me this morning?